Today on the Matt Wall Show, the DA in Kenosha has announced that the officers involved in the Jacob Blake shooting will not be charged with a crime. The left is outraged about this, of course, but I think the real outrage is that Jacob Blake himself will also not be charged with a crime, even though he committed many of them. We'll talk about that today. Also, five headlines, including the runoff election in Georgia. Democrats now stand poised to take full control of the government. But who is to blame for the massive Republican failure in the state? The blame game, it's inevitable. Uh, We'll get into that today. And a new study suggests that maybe, it turns out, men who identify as women still have an advantage over women in sports. That's what the study suggests anyway. Shocking stuff. And in our daily cancellation, I will cancel three bands who have declined their Grammy nomination, saying they don't deserve the nominations because they're white. White guilt is a mental illness, I believe, and I'll explain why all of that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. So before we get going today, I want to tell you about uh, our good friends over at Charity Mobile. Uh, you know, I'm talking about Charity Mobile all the time, mainly because I, I think it's such a win. It's, a, it's the ultimate quintessential win-win situation when you can give business to a company that provides valuable service, good, good service, um, and a company that supports your values at the same time. Because that's that we know as conservatives, that is not something we can take for granted these days, to say the least. Uh, and there are many companies out there, many that we give our money to every single day that are working against us in the culture. Um, but that's not the case with Charity Mobile. Charity Mobile, the pro-life phone company for good reason. 5% of your monthly plan price with Charity Mobile goes to the pro-life, pro-family charity of your choice. New activations and eligible accounts get a free cell phone with free activation and free shipping. So that's, uh, that's just one of the perks you get. Also, look, there's no contract. There's no termination fees. You also get a 30-day guarantee. So there's no risk involved in uh, trying out Charity Mobile. And I guarantee you, if you try Charity Mobile, you're going to want to stick with them. They also got live customer service based in the USA. So if you have a problem, you can always call them up. Um, and I think the, the headline, though, again, goes back to helping to build a culture of life in America while supporting a pro-life phone company. You can turn everyday living into effortless giving for the charity of your choice. I have my charity mobile phone right here. Uh, it's a service that I use. And the other thing is I've never had any kinds of problems. I get great signal everywhere that I am. Which, is not, which has not been my experience historically with cell phones, but it is the case here. So call Charity Mobile at 1-877-474-3662. That's 1-877-474-3662. Or chat with them online at charitymobile.com. Well, big news out of Georgia. Big news happening in D.C. today. Big news everywhere, it seems. We'll, we'll talk about all of that on the show today. But I, I want to start with events out in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, I lead the show with Kenosha for the simple reason that, in my view, the truth matters. It really matters perhaps now more than ever. And yesterday, some important truth was revealed, or maybe we should say confirmed, by the DA in Kenosha. Now, you may recall weeks of rioting, how could you forget, uh, in that city over the summer in response to the police shooting of Jacob Blake. This was one of the major catalysts for rioting across the nation. What kept it going all summer after the George Floyd shooting kicked things off? Jacob Blake was memorialized, even though he's still alive, by the way, by the NBA, many other professional uh, uh, sports teams, high-ranking Democrats, including Joe Biden, made pilgrimages to the city to pay homage to Blake's family and Blake himself. And this was all done based on a narrative that formed and cemented into the public consciousness within minutes of the original incident. The narrative, if you, if you remember, was this. Blake was driving along on, on, on the road one fine Sunday with his kids in the car, you know, probably taking them to the park or to Chuck E. Cheese or something. Uh, minding his own business when he saw two people fighting 
And being such a good Samaritan, Blake pulled over to break up the fight because he just cares so much about his community. And soon the cops showed up, assaulted poor Mr. Blake. And as he tried to climb back into his vehicle with his kids, they shot him in the back seven times while unarmed for no reason other than their own bigoted bloodlust. That was the tale that was told based on a 30-second out-of-context video, and it was enough to supposedly justify all of the rioting, looting, and murder that came after it. But it was all a lie. Every part of it. Every part of it. Blake, in fact, was at the house because he was harassing his ex-girlfriend, the same ex-girlfriend who had credibly accused Blake of breaking into her house and raping her a few months prior. There was a felony warrant out for Blake's arrest because of that. Blake was not unarmed. He actually had a knife. He assaulted the cops, not the other way around. And the car he was trying to climb into was not his own. He was attempting to steal it. So this was a wanted criminal, a violent felon, an accused rapist, armed with a knife, resisting arrest, assaulting the cops, harassing his alleged rape victim, and trying to steal her car with her children inside of it. That was enough already, you know, and, 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 and we knew all of that. That was already enough to, just, to, to know that the, the shooting was entirely justified. And Blake who is a scumbag of the highest order, brought everything on himself. But yesterday, finally, this reality was confirmed by the Kenosha DA, Michael Gravely, who announced that there would be no charges filed against the officers in the case. It shouldn't have taken this long to make this announcement. It was, as I said, obvious to any rational person within the first day that the officers did nothing wrong. Nonetheless, the right decision is being made, at least the right decision with respect to the officers. There is a miscarriage of justice here, an outrage worth talking about, but we'll get to that in a second. First, in explaining why the officers uh, won't be charged with a crime, the DA emphasized that Blake was not unarmed. He was armed. He had a knife. Uh, listen to this. Jacob Blake, while actively resisting, arms himself with a knife. I continue to hear, I, I think I heard at uh, the rally last night, the vigil where someone again said he was unarmed. It is absolutely incontrovertible that Jacob Blake was armed with a knife during this encounter. Uncontrovertible. Most uncontrovertible because Jacob Blake, in all of the times he spoke to DCI, admits he possessed a knife. Of course, as he alludes to there, the fact that Blake was armed and can be seen armed on video and you can hear people shouting, drop the knife, and he even admits he was armed, doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter to the media. It doesn't matter to the activists. The Washington Post, after this press conference, published an article, this was yesterday, still claiming that Blake was shot while unarmed. And why not? You know, They know that their readership doesn't care at all about the truth. They know that those who buy into the conspiracy theory that racist cops are executing black people are immune to facts. And that's why this next part of the press conference also made no difference to them, but I'll play it anyway because I think it's important. Here's the DA um, playing the, the initial 911 call from Blake's ex-girlfriend, an alleged rape victim, and here's how that went. Listen. David, Jacob Blake is here and he has the keys to a rental that I purchased that I need to take back and he's not trying to release it. And on top of that, he's not supposed to be here. Today is his son's birthday, so I allow him to spend a couple hours with him, but he's not giving me the keys to this rental. And that's all I'm asking for. I never would have called you guys. I promise you I tried to keep from calling you guys. He's crashed numerous of my vehicles in the past, and I literally just bought one, like yesterday. 
And so just because he heard some false information, he's not willing to give me the keys to this car that doesn't even belong to me. Me and my sisters just saw him skirt off in it and turn around and come back. So I need you guys to come in. I need these keys. Okay, what is your name? My name is Laquisha Booker. Go ahead and tell the girls that. Go ahead and tell them that. Do not put your shoes on. The police are on their way here. Yes, it is. Do not put your shoes on, Israel. Go okay. back to the that... You didn't even want to go outside. Is Jacob there right now? Yes, and he's about he's trying to kiss his kids so he can hurry up and leave. That's the, he, he was here just talking all types of crazy, and now he's walking off now. Now he's getting ready to leave. Well, let me get the license plate. Okay, so they came because they were called by the woman there uh, and the real victim in this case, by the way, who quite reasonably wanted to prevent her abusive ex-boyfriend, who she had a restraining order against, from stealing her car and crashing it. Again, she says. He's done this before and crashed it, uh, this time with her kids inside. The DA also revealed, and here was a new revelation, that three of the bullet wounds in Blake's body uh, were on his side, not his back. So even the part about being shot in the back, that was a lie too. That's not true. Which confirms what the officer claimed and what um, eyewitnesses reported. That as the officer grabbed him to prevent him from climbing into his ex-girlfriend's vehicle, Blake turned back around towards the officer with the knife still in his hand. It was at that point that the officer fired. Why did the officer grab Blake in the first place? Well, because he was a violent, again, a violent armed criminal Try, wanted felon trying to evade arrest by driving away in a stolen vehicle with children inside. Thing is, the officers would have been entirely justified in shooting him dead on the spot for that reason alone, even if it was in the back. When you've got a wanted fugitive, uh, an alleged rapist, uh, a, a, a abusive person, restraining order against them, he's trying to get into a car, the car of his victim, steal it, kids inside, drive away to get to, to, you know, and you don't know what he's going to do. Is there going to be a high speed chase? Is he going to hold one of the kids hostage? Who knows? If your only way to stop him from getting into the car is to shoot him, you'd be completely justified in doing that. In fact, you would be unjustified in not doing it. If you let him get into that car with those kids and because he didn't want to shoot him, that would be on you as a police officer. That would be the real outrage. But on top of all that, you know, the fact that he, he turned back towards them with the knife in his hand only adds an exclamation point to the officer's innocence. But as I said, there is an outrage in the DA's decision. Uh, there is a miscarriage of justice. It's not what the left is claiming as they weep and wail over a police officer not being charged with a crime for shooting a violent armed felon in self-defense. No, the outrage is that Jacob Blake is not being charged with any crime. Keep in mind, he had already been given merely probation for the charges stemming from the original warrant. And again, he had that warrant because he was accused of unlawfully entering a woman's house, raping her, then stealing her credit cards and her vehicle. He was given two years of probation for that back in November. Now he faces no charges at all for his actions on the day of the shooting, even though those actions constitute a whole series of additional felonies, violating a restraining order, harassment, theft, assault of a police officer, resisting arrest. That's just the start of it. To be clear, the officers committed no crime at all. Blake, on the other hand, has committed dozens of violent felonies that we know about since the alleged rape earlier in the year and will face almost no legal consequence for any of it. This is the outrage here. If you want to be angry about the DA's decision, be angry about that. 
Jacob Blake should be in prison for the rest of his life. He is the abuser, the bad guy, who suffered the physical consequences of his own actions and now should suffer legal consequences too. And all the while, the woman, his ex-girlfriend, the woman you heard in that 911 tape, has been silenced, ignored. That's the first time we've heard her voice throughout all of this. The media has never even asked. They don't bring her up. It's like she doesn't exist. Silenced, ignored, and forgotten throughout this whole affair. Nobody says her name. No one's taking a knee on her behalf. Yet she remains the victim, not Jacob Blake, who is, if he's a victim of anything, he's a victim of nothing but his own choices. Now let's get to our five headlines. Well, the runoff election in Georgia yesterday, uh, it's looking like Democrats are poised to win both races and take control of the Senate. Um, the nightmare situation has been realized. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not one to panic over election results. And, and I'm, I'm still not panicking now. I don't think panic is ever the appropriate response to anything, really. Um, but this is a very bad situation because the Democrats, as we know, with each passing day, they just plunge deeper and deeper into their own insane radicalism. And now they're going to control the entire government. And on top of that, um, they're, you know, they're out for revenge. They feel like they need to avenge the last four years of them not being in control. And who knows what they're going to do with it? I mean, our, our, our prayer now, our hope, is that they'll be too incompetent and, and fighting too much amongst themselves to do any real damage. And that's, that's the hope. And uh, it may be, uh, whether it's a reasonable hope or not, I'm not sure. But the question now is, with Republicans losing the Senate uh, and the state of Georgia, you know, who do we blame? And you could say, well, it doesn't matter. We don't need to play the blame game. What, what, what does it matter to go back? It does kind of matter. If, if we want to learn any lessons for the future, then we need to, we need to learn. We, we, need to, we need to know what, what, what went wrong. Why did this happen? Now, the narrative that's taking shape, it seems like, uh, among many on the right, especially, especially you know, Trump, Trump supporters, uh, the, the narrative that I'm, I'm seeing right now is that, well, this is Mitch McConnell's fault because, uh, you know, he didn't get the he opposed the two thousand dollar stimulus checks and uh, and voters were very upset about that. And that's why this happened. Now, I, I'm sure that played a part. Right. And uh, and I was on this show talking about six, 600 bucks isn't going to do anything. If you're going to send the checks, I, I oppose the stimulus bill the way that it was written. They're going to send the checks. It needs to be more than 600. I think 2,000 is better than 600. Um, but even with the 2,000, the way they were doing it, it still would be basically probably useless for the most part. I, but I just don't see how that is, is what's at fault here. Because the reality is this was a close election in a state the Republicans should have won. And what we know is that there were prominent people on the right who were either explicitly saying or implying for months that voters in Georgia might as well not vote because it's just going to be stolen and rigged anyway, so there's no reason to vote. Either ex people on the right, so-called supposed conservatives, either explicitly encouraging Republicans in Georgia not to vote or depressing the turnout um, in slightly more subtle ways. 
How is that not what's at fault here? When you had you had you had people on the right depressing their own turnout, disenfranchising their own voters, telling their own voters not to vote. And then what do you know? Republicans lose and we're supposed to blame Mitch McConnell. We're supposed to blame somebody else. Not someone like Lynn Wood, who's out there doing rallies in Georgia, telling people not to vote for Republicans. Somehow he, oh no, it's not him. Come on. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it turns out when you tell your voters not to vote, you lose. Wow. What a, what a, what an amazing turn of events. No, it couldn't possibly be that. When you, had, when you had people on the right telling Republicans not to vote, and then Republicans don't vote, there's low voter turnout, and they lose. No, that, that, I, don't, I don't see the connection here. How could you possibly connect these dots? No, it must be all about the stimulus bill. Come on. No, what, what this is, is this is, um, you know, this is CYA. This is cover your ass. There are a lot of people on the right some prominent people who are responsible for this because they were out there depressing turnout and now this is on them. This is their fault. We're going to have Democrats in charge of the entire government for at least two years. Everything that happens because of that, it is on them. It's their fault. And I'm no Mitch McConnell apologist. I'm happy to blame him for anything he can be blamed for. But I don't think he gets the blame for this. Because he wasn't the, the one out there doing rallies in Georgia telling conservatives not to vote. He wasn't the one doing that. One thing is clear, though, um, that, that this had to do with Republicans not showing up, lower, low turnout. Okay? It wasn't that Republicans voted Democrat in large numbers. I don't think that was the case. Despite the media narrative bolstered by interviews with voters like this, I want to show you this. Here was an interview in Georgia with a supposed lifelong Republican, but I, I'm, I'm a little suspicious of it. I don't know. You tell me, uh, but let's let's listen to this. There are a couple of reasons why I came today. One, uh, there's a responsibility I have as a citizen of the United States to come out and exercise my right to vote. There's many people around the world that don't have this privilege, so I want to do that. Two, I know that the entire country is looking at Georgia right now as to what our decision's going to be. So I needed to at least make my voice be heard through the exercising my right to vote. Have been a lifelong Republican. This is the first time I've ever voted uh, for a Democratic candidate just because there are issues regarding our environment, regarding um, taxation, regarding diversity issues and so forth that I think need to be addressed. And I'm hoping they will be with a Senate that can actually help encourage and enact uh, President Biden's policies. Sure. Lifelong Georgian Republican and his top issues are taxation, the environment and diversity, <laughs> right? Uh, this guy's been Republican his whole life down there in Georgia, and uh, all he's cared about is diversity in the environment. But he's been a lifelong Republican. Right? See, I, I, I've kind of changed my view on this a little bit because when I first heard that, I thought, um, well, this guy's just you know he's he's a just a de he's a Democrat voter pretending that he was lifelong Republican. Um, it could be that, but when I when I just listened to there, I, I started to think maybe I think maybe something else is going on here. I think maybe this is a this is actually a lifelong Republican who's just lying 
I don't know if he voted Democrat or not, but he's certainly lying about his reasons for doing it because he's talking to the media and he's trying to say he's trying to say what he thinks the media wants to hear. Maybe it's more that I don't know. But just the way he's like, well, because um, he, he, he didn't he didn't he certainly doesn't sound like a Republican there, but he doesn't exactly sound like a Democrat either. He sounds like he's just BSing. He says, you know, um, I was motivated by things regarding diversity issues, you know, environment issues. Uh, doesn't sound like someone actually cares about those issues. So I'm not sure which it is. Could be, could be a little, could be virtue signaling, you know, uh, Republican trying to say, hey, I'm one of the cool guys. Could be a Democrat pretending. But whatever it is, we know there's a lot of BS being, uh, being heaped on us in that video. A little bit, a little bit of comic relief though we got. At least we got that. Something to laugh about amid all the dreariness. Number two, going back to the Kenosha story for a minute. Um, I just saw this before we went on the air. LeBron James has weighed in. And speaking of someone BSing their way along, sounding like they have no idea what they're talking about, um, here's LeBron James. I'm smart enough to know that even though we're playing a game of basketball, that there's so much more that's going on in the world. So, so much more that's even more important than us playing the game. Um, and uh, to hear what happened in Kenosha today was a, um, was a blow to the heart and to the gut, um, you know, not only to that community, um, you know, but to us and, and to every, um, you know, I guess, you know, black person that, that, that just has uh, been a part of this process and seeing these outcomes for so long. And, and not only just in the black community, but also in the white community as well, who, who, who see, uh, you know, moments like this happen to us um, and to happen to his family and to happen to, to the kid himself. Um, to see that verdict, it was just, um, it was a blow to the gut, like I said, and a blow to the heart. Um, um, but we got to continue to, we got to continue to stay strong, um, continue to, to, to believe in each other and continue to push for the, for the, for the greater of change and for the greater of good. And uh, to hear, uh, you know, my people turn out in Georgia um, in the fashion that they did, um, I'm definitely going to get some more information on it, but I heard they, they turned out in Georgia and, and that's uh, commendable. Um, it's something that we started with more than a vote and we want to continue to do that and continue to support, you know, actions like this and causes that went on today um, and it's been going on, obviously. So I'm proud of, um, you know, proud of my people um, for getting out there um, and doing what they do best. So, and that's being heard and being seen um, and being powerful and being engaged. Yeah, this guy has no idea what's going on. He just has no clue. That was just one long parade of cliches. Uh, I'm proud of uh, down there in Georgia, the, the, the turnout and uh, you know, the situations that are going on down there. Uh, there's all kinds of situations. I'm proud of those situations. There are other situations I'm not proud of. You know, there's bad situations or good situations. But I just really, I, I like the good situations. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm just so proud of that. Just, the guy has just no clue. No clue what's going on in the world. Um, and he calls Jacob Blake a kid. Ah, you know, that poor kid, that kid. Jacob Blake's like 30 years old. A wanted felon, 30 years old, allegedly raped a woman, you know, assaulted a police officer. Just just an innocent kid. And of course, LeBron James, we talk about how the woman is being ignored in all this. Uh, LeBron James, that's another one. He's he's never acknowledged her, never said anything about her, doesn't care at all. But the fact that LeBron really has no idea what's going on and doesn't care, that's the point doesn't really care. You think he really cares about Jacob Blake and what's happening in Kenosha? It's not like someone like LeBron is, uh, is misguided. In it. You know, he's really passionate, but he's just a moron and he's misguided. 
That, that's the, I think it's incorrect to see it that way. I think you're doing him a favor. Yeah, he might be a moron, and he might be misguided in many ways. That's not exactly what's happening here. I think he doesn't really care at all. Um, he's living in his mansion in Los Angeles, just kind of casually throwing hand grenades into, into, uh, into crowded cities, doing his part to spark rioting and looting and unrest. Doesn't care at all. Doesn't mean anything to him. He just knows it's kind of a popular thing to say, and it's getting him some, some good attention that he likes, and the right kinds of people are patting him on the back for it. And so he doesn't care. Just kind of casually yanking the pin out, tossing the grenade. Doesn't matter to him. Guy's a sociopath. A lot of those out there. Number three, it seems like we see videos like this, you know, five times a week. But here's another altercation sparked by a member of the volunteer mask Gestapo. Uh, many people take it upon themselves. They, they join the mask Gestapo on a volunteer basis. They, they are... You know, if they're on a plane or if they're at a restaurant or in a grocery store, they're, even though they don't work there, they're just patrolling, looking out for maskless people. And here's another example um, of a guy without a mask being harassed by someone for not wearing it. Let's watch that. Okay, 70,000 Twitter followers. Wow. You have 70,000 Twitter followers? Well, they're not, that means nothing. You're still being very rude. These, these men are just drinking coffee. They're allowed to have a mask off when they're drinking. You know what's safer than a mask? Social distancing. That's more effective than the mask. So why don't you step back and leave them alone? Yes, I am because you're not going to be on this train. With his mask off. Please, me Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but this woman, she has a, okay, um, she has a mask, she has a visor, does she also have goggles? Am I seeing that correctly? I know she's wearing glasses, but it looks to me like this, uh, the mask Gestapo member there, this this woman who, 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 I don't know if you heard that, but she, uh, what I really wanted you to hear is at the very beginning, she bragged about having 70,000 Twitter followers. Which I'm skeptical of, by the way, in the first place. But she says uh, she said she had seventy thousand Twitter followers. So she was she was taking a video of this guy uh, sitting on the train without a mask on and saying, "I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tell on you. I'm telling. I'm telling. They're like my kids, a bunch of tattletales. I have to tell my kids every day, especially my daughter. She's going through a tattletale phase. I have to talk to her about this every single day, and I'm working with her, precisely because I don't want her to end up like, end up like that." with a visor and goggles and a mask, taking a video of some guy minding his own damn business on a train, drinking a, a bottle of water so he doesn't have his mask on. I'm telling. Except my daughter's seven. This nutcase is 70. My daughter has an excuse. What's, what's your excuse? Um, this is, I really think that, and, and, and we know that the, Lockdowns and everything, things that have happened over the last several months have have uh, caused a, a crisis of mental health. And we hear about that a lot. But I think we focus on, you know, the plight of people who are trapped in their homes and they're alone, they're isolated. And maybe they were already dealing with things like depression or, or, or you know, drug addiction and, and, and how how hard this is on them. And we should be focusing on that because I think that that's, you know, those are people who are being being forgotten in all of this. And uh, we know that suicides are up and everything. 
But when we talk about the, the mental health toll, I think also this, like the woman there in that video, there, there, there are people who have just been broken. And many of them probably were already broken, but even more so have been broken by things that have happened over the last few months. And now they're leaving their home with goggles, a visor, a mask. If somebody just pulls down a mask to take a drink of water, they start freaking out, terrified. I was I was going for a, a jog the other day around the neighborhood. And you could say that maybe I'm the one with mental health problems if I'm going for a jog. Because uh, even when I was doing it, I was kind of like, every time I jog, I think to myself, why am I doing this exactly? What is the point of what I'm doing right now? I don't exactly know. But I was jogging around the neighborhood and uh, I, I passed by a guy. He was out. He was outside in his own driveway with a mask on. In his own driveway. <laughs> Nobody else around. I mean, I, drew, I, wrote, I, I ran by him, you know, 20 yards away. In his own driveway with a mask on. These are people that have been broken, mentally broken. And I don't think there's any easy recovery from it. The woman in that video, eventually, if we ever move past this and uh, the mask ordinances go away, if that ever happens, you think she's just going to go back to normal? Assuming she was ever normal to begin with? No, this paranoia and fear and this, this, um, you know, this disposition they have now, it, it's not going to go away. This compulsion. But, um, all right, let's go, let's go to number four here. Here's a shocking report from NBC News. This, here it is. Get ready for this. Prepare yourself. It says, a new study suggests transgender women, i.e. men who identify as women, maintain an athletic advantage over their cisgender peers even after a year on hormone therapy. The results published last month in the British Journal, Journal of Sports Medicine could mean the current one-year waiting period for Olympic athletes who are transitioning is inadequate. The study's lead author, Dr. Timothy Roberts, a pediatrician and the director of the Adolescent Medical Training Program at Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas, Kansas City, Missouri, said for the Olympic level, the elite level, I'd say probably two years is more re- realistic than one year. At one year, the trans women, on average, still have an advantage over the cis women. Uh, and then it uh, goes on from there. So... What they're saying is when a man says he's a woman and then goes and competes against women, he still has the biological advantage of men, even though he says he's a woman. Why does he have that biological advantage? I don't know. They don't go into details in this study, but I think it's probably because he still is a man. That's probably the reason. Because it's kind of a mystery, right? Why would a, a man who says he's a woman and then competes against women in sports and still has the biological advantage of men. How could that be? How is it possible? Is it that he's still biologically a man? Is it that he'll always be biologically a man, no matter what he says, or how he identifies, or what drugs he takes, or or what medical procedures he undergoes? He will still always be a biological man. Could that be the case? I don't know, the study doesn't say. The study instead, they, I don't know how much, I don't know how much they spent on this, how much money they spent, um, how many years they spent on this, doing this study. But in the end, all they do is confirm what everybody with common sense knew right away anyway. 
So I'm glad that they could do that study. I mean, they, you know, I don't know. They, they could have, they could have just whatever, however, however many millions they spend on this study, they could have just given it to me and I would have told them that. That's something to keep in mind for next time. Number five, finally, I want to play this for you just because it's, uh, it's fascinating in a sick kind of way. It's fascinating, I think, to, to, to witness Kamala Harris attempting to pretend to be human. Um, you remember we, we talked about yesterday the story Kamala told about when she was a kid and she fell out of a stroller and shouted freedom like William Wallace. Well, apparently she's been telling that story, which was plagiarized from Martin Luther King Jr., um, as, as it turns out. She's been telling that for years. And here's, uh, here's an examples that were, were dug up. Let's watch this. Well, I was in a stroller. <laughs> I was in a stroller. And um, so I was out there. And in fact, my wow. mother used to have a very funny story about I was fussing. And, and, and she said, Kamala, what do you want? And I said, and this is how she would say it. And she said, Kamala, what do you want? And I said, freedom. <laughs> oh. oh, come on. Queen. It was a much cuter story when she would tell it, but that's the story she told. <laughs> By the way, is that how they're doing the late night shows now? I guess that is it. The, I haven't watched. I never watch them, so I really don't know. But is, they've been doing this the whole time. It's like Skype. I guess I'm way behind the times because I don't. I don't really care that much. I've never watched them. But anyway, that's her tell. She told. And there was another video. She told the story somewhere else on stage. It's always a little bit. She adds different, a little bit of different. You know, she embellishes in different places and adds details here and there. But. Uh, that's that's the story. And my question is, this is the thing nobody's asking. If it really, well, it didn't happen, okay, but let's let's pretend for a moment that it did happen. Um, how, how could your child fall out of a stroller and you not notice? That's what I don't get. Because number one, you're, you're, you're walking the child with the stroller. If they fall out, they're gonna probably fall in front of the stroller. So what, you just run over the child just like step on them and walk over them and not even notice. What was that bump? Ah, probably nothing. That's probably someone else's kid. You keep going, you go like two blocks. Like, hey, where'd the kid go? That's, you know, that's the, the least of our concerns with that story, but it is, uh, it's still, if that story is true, then Kamala Harris is revealing that she had a, a very neglectful mother. So we know that at least. Now, a quick word from our friends over at Rock Auto. You know, a good thing for, for me ever since I moved to, uh, to Tennessee is that we've been able to save a lot of money because that's one of the great, it's one of the reasons why everybody's moving to Tennessee. And if too many people move, then it's going to become expensive. So please, everyone stop. But I, I think we got to cut it off now that I've moved here. Everyone else should stop moving. I should be the last one. So I get, get to have all the benefits for myself. But anyway, saving money um, in, in Tennessee. But I, it's always good. I want to save more money because okay? I'm greedy in that way. And that's why I use rockauto.com. It's so much easier and so much cheaper than walking into a store and, you know, having to deal with all that. Somebody demanding quick answers to the questions that you might have. Um, and, uh, and at the end of the day, whatever you're looking for, they probably won't have it. And they got to order it online anyway. Why not do that? Cut out the middleman. You've got access to rockauto.com at your desk or in your pocket. You carry it around with you all the time. Why not just pull out your phone, go to rockauto.com and find anything you're looking for. And at rockauto.com, they've got the lowest prices possible uh, and also the best selection. They've got everything you could possibly want and you know you're going you're gonna to get it at a great price and it's going to be easy to navigate and find. You, know, you don't need to be an expert in these things. I know I'm not in order to navigate your way around the site and uh, find what you're looking for. The rockauto.com catalog, it's unique. It's, again, remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. You can choose the brands, the specifications, the prices you prefer. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So go to rockauto.com right now. 
See all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Walsh in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. And uh, also, listen, important to tell you about this because there's a reason that millions of people believe lies about conservatives. And that's because they've been trained to do so by content creators that despise us. We talk about bias in the media. Well, bias in the news media is a problem. That's not nearly as bad as the bias you get in entertainment. I think the bias in entertainment um, is a lot more influential because people are moved by it when they're not expecting it. When you watch the news, you expect sort of to get bias. But a lot of people, when they sit down, they watch, just they consume entertainment. They don't expect it. And so they're much more susceptible to it. Um, that's why they always say politics is downstream from culture. And we as a culture are starving for content that's edgy and entertaining and also awesome, but that doesn't mock conservative values. That's why we need to give people options. And Daily Wire is aiming to do just that. And that's why we've told you about the new film. The new Daily Wire film is our first film. We're very excited about it. It's called Run, Hide, Fight. This is not your stereotypical conservative film. In fact, it's not, it's not p- political at all. I wouldn't really call it a conservative film at all. It's also not family friendly. Okay, This is not something you'd sit down with. And I'm not going to sit down with my seven-year-old kids and, and watch it with them. It is intense. It's violent. But it has a powerful message that goes with it as well. The movie follows a high school siege by a quartet of school shooters when one young girl, 17-year-old Zoe Hall, uses her wits and survival skills to fight back. Uh, I've seen the, the movie myself. And you're talking about the 17-year-old girl, the, the character, Zoe Hall. Uh, the performance there, that was one thing that really jumped out at me watching the movie, I think it'll jump out at you too, is um, many of the performances in the movie are very good. The performance especially of the lead, uh, you know, the lead character who plays Zoe Hall, I thought was, was, uh, was really spectacular. That's why we're really excited to show you this film and bring you something that's never been done before in conservative media. Run, Hide, Fight will be available to watch on Friday, January 15th at dailywire.com. And we'll be doing a special live stream premiere the night before on Thursday, January 14th on the Daily Wire YouTube channel. Let's kick off 2021 by fighting back on culture and creating our own content. Now, let's get to our daily cancellation. So today we're canceling Alistair Mook, Doggone Fleas, and the Okie Dokie Brothers. Now, I never thought I'd see the day when I had to cancel Alistair Mook, Doggone Fleas, and the Okie Dokie Brothers, mainly because I had no idea who they were. As it turns out, they are bands that perform children's music. Now, prior to this, the only children's band I knew of is uh, it's called the Wiggles, and they're a group of insufferable, abominable Australians who dress like crew members on the Starship Enterprise and sing songs about fruit salad. My oldest kids were obsessed with the Wiggles for years, and I was driven to the edge of insanity on many long car rides, forced to listen to Wiggles songs on repeat for hours on end. It's like a violation of the Geneva Convention or something. Because of this experience, I have developed a a deep loathing of children's bands, and and perhaps that's informing my decision today to cancel the Okie Dokie Brothers and the rest of the crew. Um, I don't know, but I think they, they richly deserve it. That's what I think. But you tell me what you think. Here's the NPR report. It says, three of the five acts nominated for the 2021 Best Children's Album Grammy Award are saying no thanks. They're upset that the contenders in their category are all white. One of them is Alastair Mook, whose nominated album Be a Pain is about American heroes who stood up for their principles. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., Harvey Milk, Rosa Parks, um, the Parkland, Florida shooting student protesters, and others. 
Harvey Milk, by the way, was a, uh, a pederast. But, uh, you know, yeah, sure. Why not sing about him in your children's album? No big deal there. Upon hearing the news, he was, uh, he was uh, going back to the article, says, upon hearing the news, he was nominated, that he was nominated along with three other white male acts and one white woman. Mook smacked his head. After this year, to have an all-white slate of nominees seemed really tone-deaf, he says. The Boston-based singer-songwriter says he'd love to get a Grammy, Grammy, but, quote, I don't want it like this, where the playing field's not even. Mook is protesting by turning down his nomination, so our fellow acts dog on fleas and the Okie Dokie Brothers. Okay, now we have, to, we have to pause here to acknowledge a certain possibility. As I said, I, I've never listened to any of these bands I don't know much about the children's music space other than the fact that it makes me want to stick my head into a blender. It's possible that these particular acts never had any chance of winning in the first place. And so now they're saving the embarrassment of losing by pretending to decline the nomination for noble reasons. So it would be kind of like if I somehow was invited to play Kevin, to play Kevin Durant one-on-one but I declined the invitation and said, no, you know, I'd love to play and I'm sure I'd probably win, but I think someone who's, you know, less privileged should play instead. I just, I'm really looking out for the underprivileged. That's all. I, I'd, I'd love to play. I would play, I'd win, you know, but I, I just don't want to do it. It's possible that something similar to that is going on here, uh, in which case I would respect the hustle, actually, but, but, I, but I'm probably being too generous. Uh, here's, the, here's part of the letter authored by uh, these three acts. They, they put this letter out. They sent it to the Grammys, um, declining their nomination. And here's part of what it said. It said, Quote, unfortunately, this year's slate of all white nominees, only one of whom is female, is not an aberration for children's music. In the past 10 years, only about 6% of nominated acts have been black-led or co-led. Another 8% or so have been non-black POC-led. Those are two separate categories now, okay? And around 30% have been female-led. These numbers will be disappointing in any category, but in a genre whose performers are uniquely tasked with modeling fairness, kindness, and inclusion in a country where more than half of all children are non-white, and after a year of national reckoning around race and gender, the numbers are unacceptable. Okay, why are the numbers unacceptable? That's never explained. In all of these years, have there been non-white acts more deserving of the award on their own merits? I don't know. Or is skin color now a merit in itself? That's basically what we're told every time there's a controversy over, oh, there's, there's not enough uh, of this particular ethnicity or race nominated for this award. What you're saying is that just, just having that skin color, that ethnicity, is a merit. And that alone should, uh, should, should warrant an award. That's what you're saying. Which isn't patronizing at all, of course. But the letter gets even better. They haven't debased themselves enough simply by withdrawing in shame because they're white. They also feel the need to apologize for ever allowing themselves to be considered for a nomination in the first place. This is what they say, quote, we take full responsibility for putting ourselves in the position we're in. So just, just stop. They're apologizing for being successful and apparently good at what they do. That's how they put themselves in that position. It was just by being, you know, a successful children's act and being good at it. So they're apologizing for that. I'm so sorry that I was good at this. Please forgive me. They say, quote, we chose to submit and distribute our album to voters, even as we were aware of this category's past history of exclusion. We thought that this year, after recent national events, all the hard work of the family music 
forward racial justice collective to bring attention to issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion in our genre and changes within the academy itself designed to reduce bias, we might see a different outcome. We didn't, and the results are frankly an embarrassment for the field of children's music. I agree that, you know, they are an embarrassment to the field of children's music, but not for the reasons they seem to think. They're an embarrassment in general. And they are evidence that white guilt has become a mental illness. But let's not make the mistake of assuming that this is all just empty and cynical virtue signaling. I mean, it is that, but I believe it also reflects a real authentic derangement. White guilt seems to be almost a sort of body dysmorphia. I think that's the category it belongs in. It's not naturally occurring. Babies aren't born with it. It, it's, It's a disease that is injected into the mind, instilled. It happens through conditioning. But the result is that many white people in our country today, I'm not sure how many, but too many, really do hate themselves. They believe that their skin color is some sort of ancestral curse. They believe that they inherit guilt and sin along with their skin pigmentation, and they have to purge themselves of the evil, atone, make amends, reparations. It's almost like it's strikingly similar to the doctrine of original sin, but perverted and twisted around and racialized. I almost feel pity for the people who suffer this mental affliction, but that pity is overwhelmed just by the contempt I have for them. And that's why they're canceled. Alistair Mook, Doggone Fleas, and the Okie Doki Brothers, all canceled. And that'll do it for today. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including the Ben Shapiro Show, the Michael Knowles Show, and the Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. The show is edited by Danny D'Amico. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And production assistant, McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Georgia determines control of the Senate. Republicans on Capitol Hill try to stop certification of the presidential vote. And a shocking new report says men in dresses still beat women at sports. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.